Good morning. It's good to see everybody. Somebody laid the Bible out here for me. Thank you. You're reading from 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that uh, reading. Before we begin in the message today, I'm going to do something that's very unusual for me. I'm going to show, there's a point to a, a short video. If you would just run that real quick. As you'll see, that, uh, that's about a 250, 300-pound black bear that's run up into a tree by a little barking dog. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. You could you could stop the video. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine this week. Uh, he's at a church down in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we were talking about this video specifically. My friend Charlie had played it at his church last week. It fit with his sermon. This isn't necessarily part of this sermon, but it is a reminder. In that video, the church is that bear. And that's been the church's response to the little barking dog that is the world. And it is absolutely unacceptable. We stand on the promises of God, of the God who created the universe, and not these emotionalist ideas of men that say men can be women and women can be men, that up is down and black is white and good is evil and all those things in the world. And we need to be who we were called to be, to be courageous and stand on the truths that God has said. Instead of just standing back and saying, oh, well, whatever, the world's going to do what the world's going to do. That is not what we're called to do. We are called to snatch people out as if through the fire, to snatch them out. Uh, I have been so struck by this this week, and a couple of the guys at the church already know this because I've just been unrelenting with, certain, uh, with, with text messages and stuff on certain things. I mean, this week there is an ad in the New York City subway that's saying heroin addiction is okay and not to be ashamed of. What? Where are we living? I mean, we are to be the light in the world, not to be sequestered in this, in this building on Sundays. And, and this is the only evidence of our faith. And I got to say it right now. Uh, I was embarrassed. Uh, I was embarrassed for a friend of mine that went through this. I'm embarrassed that a person such as what I'm going to mention calls himself a, church, calls themselves a pastor. But I saw the video. They told me about it. They had experienced it. At Grace United Methodist Church in Hummelstown, a pastor had the audacity to dress up as Batman and give the Easter sermon. The audacity that he's going to have to stand before a righteous and a holy God. And I'm going to tell you, the thing that probably upset me most about it, because I watched the sermon, is that nobody in that congregation stood up and drove that man out of the pulpit. It was an embarrassment to see something like that, to treat a righteous and a holy God in an embarrassing way like that. God does not need our help to get His Word forward. He does not need us to do clever things and show fancy videos and have fancy words to save men. We need to stand on the Word of God and trust that God will get what's done. Whether we are killed for it or not, it doesn't matter. To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. It's just, it is just... Brothers and sisters, there are so many places that call themselves churches out there that are not the church. I would snatch your friends and family from the fire, from those places that they're in. 
it is just an embarrassment what I'm seeing. John and I would speak week after week. What if we're the only church in the Harrisburg area that preaches out of the Bible? And we used to joke about that. You know, there has to be other ones, right? Maybe not. But from the things I've seen, it's horrible out there. They are not, it, it, it is like out of Amos, what is it, chapter 6? That there is a famine for the word in the land. They're doing all sorts of things and theatrics like uh, in these other churches, and it's just embarrassing to see what it's being done to God's word. So, Back to that bear. The, the true believers should be, uh, should be that 300-pound black bear that's not afraid of anything. Because we stand on what God says. We are not to be fearful of the world and what the world, the world says. The world is absolutely mad. It's insane. We should trust in the true Word of God and what He says and to stand and be courageous on His Word. And that's what we trust in, not with what man says. And so that was my little aside from today. I just couldn't, I just couldn't, couldn't keep back from it. And I thank you for uh, your patience with that as we uh, jump into 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. Very, very few verses left. Uh, if you are a person that reads uh, uh, out of biblical commentaries, uh, you could find that Sometimes this particular set of passages, 16 and 17, sometimes they include 18 with that. Sometimes they don't. Uh, at the beginning of the week, John and I were discussing, I said, I'm kind of on the fence. Is, is 18 included with this or not? Uh, I don't think it is. Uh, so I kept it with just these two verses. Uh, as John quickly comes to a close uh, in his teaching, in this letter, this, uh, a love letter to this church, to his beloved this beloved, these beloved believers, always keep that in your mind when you're reading this letter, that it is to a body of believers. This is not a letter written to convince somebody in the veracity and the truthfulness of the gospel. This is written to people who already know the truthfulness of the gospel. Uh, and so we want to always keep that in mind. I think I mentioned the other week too, and that's one of the, uh, one of the things we always have to keep in mind as uh, as expository preachers is that we can be in this letter uh, that was read in one setting at one time it would probably take no more than 15 or 20 minutes for this to be read out loud to a group of people uh, and as expositors uh, we go week after week after week slowly working for the scripture sometimes we forget where we started at we forget what the point of the letter was we forget that the verses, particularly today, as we'll see in verses 16 and 17, uh, that, that there was no delay in them hearing verses 16 and 17. That it was heard in conjunction with all the verses that preceded it. That they would have been able to draw those connections quickly. But since we go, it, the letter wasn't written directly to us, and we go in an expository fashion, verse by verse, week by week, and over a period of time, we sometimes have to remind ourselves where we were at and how we've arrived to where we're at. Because sometimes if we just helicopter in and look at these verses without considering all the verses that preceded it, we can get a misunderstanding of what the point is. So we really want to get to the point. We want to know what was meant uh, or what was said to, the, said to this church there, uh, this body of believers there. So in today's message, as, uh, in this, today's message out of uh, 1 John chapter 5 verses 16 through 17, uh, we should find ourselves that as a Christ follower, like Christ himself, that we have a duty, we are called uh, to pray and to intercede for fellow believers. This is essentially going to be a one-part sermon, or a one real big takeaway, and there's going to be a slight little 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 aside dovetailed onto that, but I mean, this is, if we were to walk out of this uh, message today right now, we'd say that you as believers are meant to intercede to pray for other believers. That's one of our biggest duties to do. It is so, it is fascinating the way God works. Uh, I was just having a discussion before the service here with uh, with Brianna, and uh, she was mentioning just a reading she had, and it's like, oh my gosh, where is that at? We need to we need to look at that. I want to see what that is. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, uh, starting, in verses, uh, starting in verse 8. We're going to read 8 through 11. 
we were just you know just chatting a little bit about the sermon where I'm at. She said, oh, it's so weird. This, it sounds just like very similar to what I'm reading, but look at these words from Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, in verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of, the, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. So they were afflicted, uh, almost to the point uh, of sinful despair. Verse 9, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Thank goodness they turned to the Lord, to trust in the Lord, not in the, the afflictions that's coming after him, not in the people that are propagating lies, not in the people that are attacking them, right? In verse 10, this God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. And here, verse 11, you also joining in helping us through your prayers. You also joining in helping us through our prayers. The Corinthian church, as Jim mentioned today in Sunday school class, had a lot of issues. Uh, but they were believers. And Paul and his companions were strengthened and helped through the prayers of that church in Corinth. Those believers who are also sinners in Corinth are praying for these believers, Paul and his companions, in their travels in Asia. And he says, So that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Praying for other believers. Uh, we must always keep that in mind. Uh, we might not even get to the passages at this point in time, but just keep in mind that it's, I'm just joking, uh, that it's just so important that we pray for fellow believers, that we intercede for fellow believers. So again, that we can learn in these passages, 16 and 17, that, uh, that being in fellowship with other believers calls us to intercede and pray for other believers. That we are mirroring what our Lord and Savior did himself for believers, for those in the church. So as we look here, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, it says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, we're going to stop right here, that the main point is not about the sin that is leading to death. I cannot tell you how many people just vector in on that and they see nothing else in this passage. What is the sin leading to death? What is that sin? Tell me about that sin. I want to know what the sin is leading to death, mainly because I, don't, I want to make sure I'm not doing it. Right? Well, we'll get there, but we're not going to go there first. I mean, because that's not what the point of this passage is about. Remember that John, is, John has said a whole lot of words leading up to this, to this particular sentence, to this particular verse. He says, if anyone sees a brother committing a sin, the not leading to death is just modifies this, the, the committing a sin. So if anyone sees a brother, a brother in this instance would be that, that person who is a believer. If anyone sees a brother committing a sin, go past your little comma there, and it says, he shall ask and God will give him God for God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. So I'm going to truncate this and say, if anyone sees a brother or sister, a believer, committing a sin, he should ask God, and God will for him give him life. There's your short sentence of what this whole passage, whole this section is about. You see a brother or sister sinning? Pray for them. Intercede for them in prayer for them. That's the main point here. That is the big takeaway from these sentences. Pray for the fellow believers. Intercede on their behalf. Pray for them for the things that they can't pray or don't know what to pray on. The idea here, in, in the, in, it's, it would be, I think it's in the Greek, it's I do, I, I, day, I, I day, I think is what it is, it's how it's, you know, how it's, uh, how it's how it's crushed together and to mean to see means to actually physically see. Not to see with your mind's eye, not to anticipate that they might be sinning in their heart, but to actually see that they are, they are committing a sin. It could be that sin against a brother or, or speaking out falsely against a brother. I mean, 
what, or, or even speaking lies. How tempting is it in our in all days and ages, maybe not so much as, as an adult, but as a child, you know, to tell those little white lies, those little fibs, to make yourself sound a little bit better than you are. You know, right? Still a sin. Still a lie. You know what telling a, a single lie makes you? A liar. So when something is observed or something is seen, he's not calling out a specific, it's a, it's a warning passage, it's a, it's a warning. Look, this, this whole letter is about two things. It's about non-believers that have left, and it's about the fellowship, most importantly, and unity of the body. So he's saying here, as, as unified believers, if you, if you see your brother or your sister sinning, pray for them. Ask God to forgive them. Intercede on their behalf for them. Have you ever experienced this in your Christian walk? Have you ever experienced in your Christian walk, as you've been a Christian for more than three and a half hours, right? That you look back on the time when you first became a Christian and you examine some of the things you did in your life there and say, oh my gosh, that was sinful behavior and I didn't even know it back then. Right? Happens all the time as we mature. Those things that we would have accepted beforehand as non-sinful behavior, we realize looking backward with our, uh, with how we, what, we, what we've learned, how we matured in, in, our, in our faith walk, we realize those things were sinful. I want to be interesting to see that other people probably recognize that too and that they were praying for this in that period of time. We get over that. I will just, and I'll say this, uh, hopefully I won't be, I think the term is excoriated for it, excoriated for it. Uh, it is sinful to call yourself a Christian and be in a church that is not preaching out of the Bible. It is a sin and it is a foul stench to the Lord that you do that. That people accept this type of worship as acceptable to God. Because I can tell you it's not. If you're not treating the word, if they're not treating the word with respect, it is sinful behavior. And we need to pray for those brothers and sisters that are in that, in that state. We pray that their hearts do not become hardened to the true, uh, the, the true, the truth of God. Because truth does matter. God tells us what the truth is. And I can tell you right now that everything that's outside those doors says almost the exact opposite of what God says is true. So we need to pray for those brothers and those sisters. We need to pray for our family members uh, that, 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 that are, are uh, attending uh, churches where they're not growing. Uh, we need to pray for them that they continue to grow in their faith, that they will see the value of the Word of God, that they will grow in their maturity, right? That we're, we're called to grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior. We are called to know more and more about Him because one of the true affections of being a believer is the fact that you want to know more about your Savior. I don't want to know more about the Packers football team this Sunday. Uh, I want to know more about Jesus who saves me. That's what I want to know more about. There's where my affections are, are, are at. Now, don't hear me wrong and say, it is okay to have hobbies and enjoy the sports and everything like this, but it is a sin to put those places, put those above knowing a righteous and a holy God, to know the work of the Savior, to know what the, how the Spirit is working in your life, to know what God has done throughout all of creation to bring about His redemptive plan. And I may sound like a little bit of a broken record today because I just cannot get off of it. I mean, I'm nobody special. John's nobody special. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to preach out of the Word if you've been called to do so. I mean, this is not higher algebra that I'm, I'm doing up here. I'm looking at the Word, I'm explaining who they were talking to, and then I'm applying the Word to us today. To think that I need to dress up in a costume to try to attract people is ridiculous. It's madness. 
It's man-centered. I'm going to tell you, this Bible is not man-centered. It's God-centered. It's Jesus-focused is what it's all about. Pray for your family and friends that they go to a Bible-preaching church. Pray that they can find them, that God would, would shine the light in their lives, that they would find those Bible-preaching churches to know the glory and the depth and the breadth of the Scripture that tells about our Lord and Savior. It's, I think I'll, I'll, I'll ascribe it to Calvin. I'm not sure if it was him or if it was Luther or one of the other reformers, but they said the Scripture itself is like staring at the ocean. You know, I can take a drink out of it and taste the saltiness, but I can never see the bottom of it. I can never get to the bottom of God's Word. It is so deep and so rich that I can never get there. And we want to encourage people to be in there. We don't want to intercede for people in our prayers that they see that themselves. Uh, I think we forgot to mention today, we, uh, it, for application, I, and I will get a little bit more focused here, is that uh, we, have the, we have intercessory prayer that occurs every Sunday after the service up front here interceding for other believers that are here. Praying in a way that they themselves might not be able to pray. Sometimes we, we don't know what to pray or how to pray or in what manner we're supposed to pray, but we do that every Sunday after the service here. That Jeff Mock and a number of the guys get up here and a number of people join in. I encourage you to join in on that. That intercessory prayer that, that John is saying that we're supposed to do here. It says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, he shall ask and God will give him life. If anyone sees another believer sinning, he should ask God, he should pray to God, he should intercede on his behalf, and God will give him life. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts 2.42. Acts 2.42. Uh, this comes after Peter's uh, sermon on Pentecost. This comes after uh, uh, the point in verse 41. It says, So then those who had received his word were baptized. In that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And what do those 3,000 souls do? In verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching into fellowship, into breaking of bread, and to prayer. Prayer. It's a mark of the church, uh, is that prayer. And in John's case here, it's a, it's a mark of that fellowship of the body of believers is praying for other believers. Uh, we, uh, to, to, to pray for them, to pray for the sin that is on their lives, that they might be relieved of it, to pray for them that they might be able to repent of it, to, to pray in that manner uh, for them. But now I want you to turn to John chapter 17. Uh, Jesus gives us a glimpse of uh, intercessory prayer. Gives us a glimpse in John 17. Uh, divinity praying to divinity. The Son praying to the Father. In verses 1 through 5, he speaks about that he would be glorified and all that is going to occur because the cross itself is looming ahead. It's very close. You know, it is right there, uh, the, right after this verse, right after this chapter 17, after this prayer ends, uh, you're going to have the betrayal of Jesus. Judas will betray him with a kiss. Uh, Judas will uh, betray him in the manner that was to indicate unity and fellowship. He will use that and break that unity and fellowship with him. And then in verse 6 of chapter 17, as Jesus is praying and praying to the Father, uh, we have this intimate look in the, into the relationship between the Father and the Son, the, the Father who was a Father from all time and the Son who was a Son from all time. In verse 6 it says, I, Jesus, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. These apostles, this is whom Jesus is now speaking about. 
And look at verse 9. I ask on their behalf. So he is asking for something that they know not what to ask for. Or they don't know how to ask for it. He's asking on their behalf. He is praying to the Father on their behalf. And he says, I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but on those whom you have given me, for they are yours. He is putting himself in that substitutionary, intercessory role to pray for them. To pray in a manner which they don't know what to ask for. And to a degree, they don't know what's coming. They don't know what it's going to look like. That They, they were warned that this is coming, but they won't have the reality of the cross and Christ on the cross until it actually happens. So actually staring it in the face. And he's praying for them now. I'm praying on their behalf. Uh, this is what I'm doing for them. And now drop down to verse 13. But now I come to you. When we come in prayer, we do the same thing. We come before the Lord. But I come to you. In these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. This high is its label, is its title in many of your Bibles is Jesus' high priestly prayer. But this is divinity speaking to divinity. This is the divine Son speaking to the divine Father. This is fully God speaking to fully God. He's saying there, I but but I come to you. You, uh, you, the, the, the grantor of these things, you as my Father in these things, I speak in the world so that they may have my joy. Interceding for them so that they will not despair, but they will have the joy, and they will know the joy that is found on the cross. Entreating the Father so that they may experience that joy and knowing what it means that they know about the true depth of repentance, or excuse me, redemption. Look at verse 15. As he continues his prayer, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one, to keep them from the devil. Interceding on their behalf for protection. Interceding, look in verse 17, that they would be sanctified in truth, because the Lord's word is truth. In verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That is every believer who is sitting here today. Jesus interceding for you before you were born. That they may all be one. This is the fellowship and the unity of the body of believers. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. <coughs> Jesus is uh, another claim of Jesus as being God. Jesus being God. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. How awesome is that is how he intercedes on their behalf, how he prays for not only the apostles right there, but in turn is praying for you and I too. Praying for their sanctification, praying for their unity as a body of believers through the Father and in the Father and in the Son with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the paraclete that will be coming, the helper that will be coming to them. In verse uh, 22 through 26, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. Now remember, this is John recording these words. The same John that is writing 1 John where we're at. 1 John sometimes is called a very short version of the Gospel of John. This call to be unified, this prayer for unity of the body of believers. We pray, as leaders at this church, pray for the unity of the body of the believers here. We do so because Jesus gives us the example. He tells us what we're supposed to do. In 23, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me. I don't think there's anybody 
in this world that would think a pastor dressed up in a Batman costume is sent by God. I'm like a dog with a bone with this thing. I'm embarrassed for that man. But I wouldn't call him a pastor, nor a shepherd. They know that you are sent by God because of the way you handle the Word and the truth of God. The way you handle the Word tells you who you belong to. When visitors come into our church, they will know whether or not we are Christ's followers by the way we handle the music and the way we handle the Word here. It has nothing to do with the woodwork or the stained glass. That's just merely window dressing. It has to do with how we handle this Word. And if we look at God's Word here and what we see, I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in you, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. We'll close in verses 25 and 26 of this part of John 17. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. Oh, brothers and sisters, we have to treat this word with great care. We cannot be flippant about how we handle God's word. We cannot add to God's word. God does not need our help by it. We can only read the word, explain the word, and apply the word. That's what we do. We look at these words of Jesus praying and interceding on behalf of those believers Uh, interceding for them that they may be in fellowship and unity as the Father and the Son and the Spirit are in fellowship and unity. That that would be shown out in the world. So your big point here, before we get into that, that question that we ask, is that we are to pray for fellow believers that we see are sinning. And we are to pray for those fellow believers, even for all things on their behalf. We are to pray for them at all times, because that's evidence of the body of the unity of the body of believers. To go before the Lord with our prayer and entreat Him for them, and for their souls, and for their salvation, and for their redemption, and for their growth, and for their knowing the Lord, and loving the Lord, and finding joy in the Lord, and to not be fearful. And to be strong in the faith. So we talk about the sin that leads to death. That is there. Somewhat like the elephant of the room. The thing that people want to gravitate to. The thing that they want to know because they want to make sure that they're not doing the sin that leads to death. We remember that this entirety of this, uh, this letter is written to a body of believers. And we know that the entirety of the letter before this verse was read before this verse was read. We also know that John speaks with great clarity. So it isn't like a, this isn't like a where's Waldo hunt to find out what the sin is that leads to death. I've heard some things from, from very exceedingly trusted sources about this. And they're right in as far as what they say but I think that they're missing the point to some degree. A lot of people will land on this, the sin that leads to death is that sin that might bring about immediate judgment from God upon the believer that they might be killed at that moment, such as Ananias and Sapphira. I don't doubt. In fact, I 100% support that that does happen. That sometimes in a believer's life that they have abject sin that is only dealt with that prevents further sin by the death that they suffer in that life. as that moment of immediate judgment that occurs. It occurred with Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, where you read it, when they promised money that they weren't asked to promise, and then they lied about the money that they gave. 
They would say correctly, and I don't think it's these, and I, and I would stand pretty firmly on this, that this isn't what these verses are about, but they would say correctly that to preserve the church, to preserve the purity of the church, that there are times that immediate judgment comes against sinful believers so that they are not infecting the church with their impurity that is there. And that is a true statement. But I'm at plus 99.99% that that is not what John is speaking about here when he talks about the sin that's leading to death. What John is speaking about, because his letter tells us what he's speaking about, is he's talking about eternal spiritual death. Because he says, I think it's six times, Six times in the letter, he will speak about eternal life. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is eternal life found in Jesus. Right? We can, uh, we just a synopsis is John 1 2. And the life was manifested, the life which we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. 1 John 2 25, this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. 1 John 3.15, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Why do we know that no brother has eternal life? Uh, because he hates his brother? Because the Lord says that the sign that you are a believer is that you love your brother. See, we're vectoring in on what this, uh, this sin of death is. Verse 5, uh, John chapter, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, And we know that the Son of God has come, has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He consistently is hammering home eternal life, eternal life, and eternal life, and He is consistently hammering home in this letter, those that don't have eternal life, those that will be spiritually dead, and those are the ones that deny that Jesus is the Savior, that deny that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, the Antichrist they talk about. Verse 19 of chapter 2, they went out from us, but they were not really of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that we would be shown that they, are, they all are not of us. The thrust of John's letter appears to be it's the fellowship of the believers, the true believers are those that are found in Jesus, the Antichrist are those that deny that Jesus is the Son of God, is our Lord and Savior. When he says here that there is the sin that leads to death, a brother, he is speaking this right now because they are like those ones that are doing the sins that lead to death or the ones that look like they're of us but are not of us. The sin that is leading to death is denying that Jesus is the Christ. That is denying that Jesus is the Son of God. That is denying that Jesus is fully God and fully man. It's the ones that deny that are the ones that will be suffering eternal death and damnation. He's specifically saying in clarity with regards to the rest of his letter that there is only two ways in this world. Being found in Jesus or being found in the devil. Things that lead to death are those things that be found that denying that Jesus is the Son of God. And that's where he lands us at there. He says there is a sin leading to death, and I do not say that because it is in the singular, this singular sin leading to death. I do not say, and that, and that we know is the sin itself that leads to true death, is to deny that Jesus is Lord. To deny that He is your Savior. We've spoken many times to just say, I know the Lord, to sign a card is not saying that you are found in Jesus. And when he says there, there's a sin leading to death at the end of verse 16, I do not say that he should make requests for this. He's not denying that we can pray for unbelievers. We are called to do that. But what he's specifically talking about in this passage is interceding for fellow believers. That is his main thrust in his 
as he brings about the unity that he speaks of. Look at how many times in John chapter 17 when he records Jesus' high priestly prayer. He speaks about the unity of the body. And that's what he's saying here. They see a brother committing a sin. Pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him. Intercede for him. Pray for him. That's the important part. Jesus is still doing it for us now. Guys, do we know this? Guys and gals, do we know this? Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Circle in your Bible. Be confident. Don't be like that uh, black bear that runs up the tree. Be confident. And know this is true. Know this is God's righteous and holy word. Acts chapter, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save forever. Forever. How long? Forever. He's able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him, through Jesus. Those who draw near to God through the Son. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. If you are not found in the Son, you are dead in your sin for eternity. There is no hope for you. We'd ask right now that if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you ask and you pray that you would know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and talk to one of us here in leadership about what that means. But just as Jesus is interceding for us now, sitting on the throne as a prophet, priest, and king, sitting there as the risen Savior on the throne, interceding for you as a believer right now, praying for you right now, what did, what did, what did Jesus Himself say about Peter that Satan has to sift him like wheat. And Peter, I have prayed for you that when you return, that you will strengthen the brothers. What is the one of the ways we strengthen the brothers is by praying for the brothers. In Greek, I believe it's prosukamai, right? It's a fancy word, right? Prosukamai. I'm prosukamai for people, right? This is why they're praying for those people is what you're doing. Jesus prays for the apostles. He gives the example. We are to live as He lived. He prays for His brothers right then and there. And He prayed for us before the foundations of the world. And He's praying for us right now. And we are to... And guess what? We're all sinners. He's praying that we'd be strong and faithful. That we'd finish the race. That we'd finish the course. So we too are to be like that. To pray. Therefore, we should seek to intercede too for our brothers and our sisters... Uh, that we should be praying for them uh, because that is one of the ways, that, too, that it demonstrates the unity of the body of believers. Now turn with me to the last verse there in 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 17. He doesn't let them off the hook, though. He's been talking about praying for people in sin. He said there's a sin that doesn't lead to death. And so you're thinking to yourself, and they were thinking to themselves, oh, well, if the sin doesn't lead to death, then that's okay. I can just do whatever I want to do. Yeah, We can sin all the more because grace abounds, right? Well, we're wrong. It's not right. He says clearly there, all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, everything that is not of God is sin. Don't kid yourself. Don't fall into the trap to think you can get away with this thing because nothing has gotten away of before God. God sees everything that you do. Uh, as Jim was speaking this morning, God is omnipresent or everywhere present. Satan himself is not everywhere present, but God certainly is. He is right there at all times. He knows what your thoughts are. He knows what you're doing. He's not standing there like a traffic cop. But all unrighteousness is sin. And he reminds these believers there, and there is a sin not leading to death. Just all sin is sin in separation from God. All sin is, is, is uh, unholiness uh, to a righteous and holy God. All sin requires punishment. There are certain sins that will separate you for forever from your Lord and Savior, and that is to deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. 
to look at these verses. I have a number of them written, uh, written down here. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 18. Oh, no, I don't, uh, no, excuse me, I don't want, not Acts chapter 1, verse 18. I want to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 29. It gives you the example of uh, what uh, since, uh, sinfulness is like, filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, full of envy, uh, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are all gossips, right? Those are example of, of the sins, an example of the world. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 5, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? For God is fully righteous, so all sin is unrighteousness, so it's anti-God, right? We want to become more and more sanctified in our lives. Uh, verse, Romans chapter 6, verse 13, Do not go about presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Your members as instruments of unrighteousness to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy before a holy God. There are lesser and greater sins. For the brevity of time, just write down, go read in Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 through 24. Uh, the entirety of that 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 chapter, and, but we would see uh, we would see that not all sin, uh, uh, hell itself is not a flat playing ground where everybody receives the same punishment in hell. It's all horrible, but there are because God is just and righteous. There are people that are more horrible than others. Uh, you would see in, the, in, in that Matthew chapter 11, if you just went to verse 21, it says, 21-22, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago and sat off in ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. There are different levels of judgment that occurs in hell. John's warning there about all unrighteousness is sin. Don't play around with sin. Put it through that. Don't play around with sin. Repent of it. Don't play around, around with sin. Uh, encourage. Uh, understand that you can't even recognize all the times that you sin. Ask that your brothers and your sisters will be praying for you. Ask that your brothers and sisters will be praying for you during the week. Ask that your brothers and sisters would pray that you would recognize your sin in your life and the areas where you need to repent and turn away. Intercede for your fellow believers. Knowing that your fellow believers, that, uh, that Jesus will not lose one that the Father gives him. That trusting in those promises and truths of God. As we come quickly to an end, we would say that our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, but His mercy is more than our sins. I couldn't help but think to myself as I was closing up the study on this chapter, uh, closing up the study on these verses, excuse me, John will finish the chapter next week, of Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. And it so fits even more so with the discussion I had with Brianna about how Paul was praising the Corinthians for praying for them under their affliction. Uh, Paul's ministry proceeds with prayer. Excuse me, John, uh, Charles Spurgeon would say that, the, the, that his... That at his church, that when there were thousands of people that were flocking there to hear him preach, and when asked how this works, why this happens, he would show them the basement with 500 people praying for the sermon. That it would go forth. Uh, prayer is that thing which drives the engine of the church. Prayer is that thing we could do pretty much anywhere. Guess what? You can even do it when you're driving with your eyes open. You can pray and talk to God about these things to intercede. 
And I couldn't help but be thinking about this. You know, on top of that, our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And I kept thinking about Paul and his ministry in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 5, and where he says, But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, be a prayerful believer, praying for others along with yourself. In verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering in the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Imagine all those people that Paul had praying for him in his ministry at that period of time. All those believers, unknown believers, people he probably never met that were praying for him. That he would endure to the end. We pray for your endurance. And I would hope that you would pray for our endurance and the leadership here at the church. To pray that we could stay the course and stay true to the words and not be pulled away into the things of the world. That, this, that, that inside this building when we teach that it looks distinctly different than the world. That we're teaching and preaching the truth of God. That all here as believers would run the race well and finish well. Not to be caught up in any complacency or success. That we would continue to pray for our brothers and our sisters as the Lord continues to intercede and pray for us. Let's bow our heads. Righteous and Holy Father, we The scripture is our only guide to what your holiness means. And all I see in the scripture is how different and how separate we are from you. That it is only through your great love, through the work of the Son, that we have redemption. We ask that you give us the forethought and the strength to pray for others, to pray for our fellow believers, to pray that they are strengthened, to pray that they repent, and that is that, that we are praying for them, that they are praying for other believers, that they might be strengthened. We ask that you give us the, the, the strength to look at your word and see the truth, uh, to not look at what is happening in the world and trying to find our answers there, but to look at your word and see what is happening there. As Ryle quoted from somebody else that uh, he would say that lock me in a deepest, darkest dungeon with a Bible and a candle and I could tell you all that the world is doing at any given moment. And it is so true, even more so today. Would you give us the strength to rely upon your word, to seek your word before we seek anything else? We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please uh, stand and join us while we worship the song. Thank <clears throat> you.